Remember those parental advisory stickers that were on the front of every Jay-Z CD? Well, we should probably get one of those for this podcast because we're going to be throwing around a few four-letter words. Okay, Arisha, I want you to imagine it's May 5th, 2014, and you're Beyonce. Okay, well, I imagine that every day. So easy. (laughs) Okay. You're gorgeous. Check. You're rich. Check, check. And you're married to Jay-Z. Hell yeah, I am. Feeling it. Okay. And in 2014, you're in top form. Time Magazine just named you the most influential person of the year. Your self-titled album went double platinum. And tonight, you're headed to the Met Gala in a gorgeous black Givenchy dress with a plunging neckline. Ooh, is this the night when she's got her hair all swept to the side and is wearing that sultry birdcage veil? Yes, and dark, dark burgundy lipstick. Ugh, why can't I be her? Well, because you're you, and the world needs both Beyonce's and Arisha's. (laughs) Anyway, Beyonce's at the Met Gala with Jay-Z, who's also rocking a sleek Givenchy look. Now, they sweep down the red carpet, hand in hand, looking stunning, sophisticated, and cool. Everything seems perfect. But, of course, it isn't. Yeah. After the Met Gala comes the after party. And tonight, it's at the Standard Hotel on the 18th floor overlooking the city. Beyonce's sister, Solange, goes with them. She's a star in her own right, and she's wearing this voluminous fuchsia gown. Very avant-garde. So they go to this party. We don't know exactly what happens there, but we know something does. Because in the elevator on the way back down to the lobby, Solange throws a punch at Jay-Z. Then she throws another one and another, and Jay's trapped. He does his best to dodge her, but she doesn't stop. She's punching and kicking him and swinging her Anya Heinmark purse at his head. Mm. A bodyguard is there trying to break it up. And Beyonce, she just stands there off to the side, watching. Oh, shit. Gotta protect that Givenchy. You know it. Eventually, she does step between them. Then the elevator door opens on the lobby floor, and Solange takes a few more shots. Then they step out into a barrage of camera flashes. Beyonce smiles for the cameras. Jay cradles the side of his face a little, and Solange looks pissed. Other than that, they just look like any three super famous people on their way home from a big night out. No one outside of that elevator knows what happened. Not yet. Until the next morning, when all hell breaks loose. Somebody at the Standard Hotel leaks video footage from the security tapes. Grainy overhead footage of the whole thing. The tabloids have a field day. Listen. People have been speculating and saying, well, why didn't Beyonce get in the middle? In my mind, Beyonce didn't get in the middle because Solange was probably attacking him over something that he knows he was dead wrong about. And and therefore, sister didn't get in the middle. People think Solange lost it on Jay-Z because he was cheating on Beyonce. The rumor was that she was getting her sisters back. But no one knows for sure. But how could anyone cheat on Beyonce? She's ridiculously talented. She's beautiful. She's successful. She's influential. Yep, I mean, just a few months earlier, Beyonce released the hit song, Flawless. You wake up, flawless. Post up, flawless. Okay. I woke up like this, flawless. That'll do. Thank you so much. (laughs) So that's her whole image. One she's carefully created to protect herself. She's Queen B, empowered, flawless. And even though she's married to a rich and powerful man, 
She doesn't need that man to define her. Don't think I'm just his little wife. <laughs> Jay-Z and Beyonce barely say anything publicly. Now, the press is going crazy with this tawdry story about her sister attacking her husband because he cheated on her. But here's the thing about Jay-Z and Beyonce. They may not talk much about the relationship in public, but they do drop hints of what's really happening into their lyrics. And in August, a few months after the incident, Beyonce releases a remix of her song Flawless, and she adds a few new lyrics, which pretty much say it all. Of course, sometimes shit go down when it's a billion dollars on an elevator. That shit? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but when you put two self-made billionaires together in one supernova power couple facing all that scrutiny, all those crowds, then yeah, shit is bound to go down. From Wondery, I'm Brooke Sifrin. And I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams. And this is Even the Rich, where we bring you absolutely true and absolutely shocking stories about the greatest family dynasties the world has ever seen. It's a show about power, how you get it, how you keep it, and what happens when it goes to your head. It's also about how the rich are just like us, because even the rich love and cry and dream and hope and regret pulling all-nighters to binge true crime on Netflix. Oof, amen to that. <laughs> I think we can both agree that Jay-Z and Beyonce are the closest thing we have to American royalty. Besides us. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and unlike the actual royals we've talked about on this series or the families who have been wealthy for generations, Jay-Z and Beyonce weren't born into dynasties. They each built their own careers independently, relying on their insane talent, hard-won business skills, and then each other. And they came from very different places. As a kid, Beyonce was part of a tight-knit Texas family, competing in national talent shows. Jay-Z, on the other hand, was a shy kid named Sean Carter, trying to make it with a single mom in a Brooklyn housing project at the height of the 80s crack epidemic. Over the next four episodes, we'll be taking a look at how these two superstars came together to form a dynasty. What happens when two of the biggest stars on the planet fall in love, launch a multi-platinum billion-dollar music empire, and almost lose it all? This is episode one, Crazy in Love. So let's go back a little. It's the summer of 1988 and we're in Houston, Texas. Beyonce is seven years old. Cute kid, long brown hair, huge smile. She lives with her mom, dad, and little sister Solange in this upper middle-class neighborhood. Big Tudor-style houses, oak trees, her mom's a gorgeous social butterfly, Tina Knowles. She wears big Jackie O sunglasses and drives a convertible. She owns a hair salon. Her dad, Matthew, is a salesman pulling down a six-figure salary. They go to church on Sundays. This all sounds so wholesome. <laughs> you could say that. But Matthew and Tina are worried about their seven-year-old Beyonce. Kids at school make fun of her weird name, mm. and they tease her for being light-skinned. Some days, she comes home crying. She retreats into herself. Shyness becomes her defense mechanism, a way to keep the bullies at bay. Tina watches all of this happen, sees her daughter close up, and she realizes that Beyonce only comes out of her shell to do one thing, sing. Maybe, Tina thinks, that's the way to help her shake off this shyness, singing, dancing, performing. So she signs Beyonce up for a dance class. And boy, are they right. Something opens up inside. Beyonce loves being on stage, 
Right away, her teacher can tell this little girl has talent. Sometimes she'd dance so hard, her hat would fall off. One day, her dance teacher is humming a song after class, and Beyonce starts singing along. And, well, the teacher's blown away by the voice. She arranges for Beyonce to perform at a local Jewish community center. Then she calls up a woman she knows named Deborah. Deborah's a bookkeeper and a former beauty contestant, but for the last few months, she's been driving around Houston with her friend Denise, trying to put together a girls' group. The teacher tells Deborah, come check this girl out. You will not be sorry. And let me guess, Beyonce crushes it. Of course she does. Her voice is strong and clear. But that's not all. She has presence. She has it. What? It. Like, kid, you've got it. Ah. (laughs) And how old is she at this point? All of eight. I mean, I know, right? It's painful. (laughs) It could have been me. No, no, it couldn't have been. (laughs) (laughs) After the concert, Deborah and Denise find Matthew backstage and introduce themselves. Later, driving home, they can barely contain their excitement. Deborah's so happy she thinks she might cry. Denise tells her, I can't believe a child can sing like that. And these women have heard a lot of children sing, at least 200. But as Denise says, it was worth it just to find this one. Beyonce auditions for them a week later, and what do you know? She lands a spot in the group. Destiny's Child. Not yet. This girl group's called Girls' Time. That's spelled T-Y-M-E, by the way, because, you know, why not? Deborah and Denise are the managers and driving force behind Girls' Time. But Matthew and Tina Knowles take, let's say, a keen interest in Beyonce and the group. One of the other girls, Kelly, even moves in with the Knowles family. And pretty soon, it's girls' time all the time at their house. (laughs) Matthew's like a drill sergeant, pushing the girls to practice, train, dance. He had them do these grueling drills where they run and dance and sing all at the same time so they could learn breath control, endurance, and stamina. Pop star boot camp. (laughs) Yep. It's a lot. And things get complicated fast. Girls get fired. New girls come in. How the hell do you fire an eight-year-old? I don't know. (laughs) Eventually, Girls' Time makes a whole album. They submit it to record labels, but every single one passes. They've made a name for themselves around Houston, but the national competition is just too steep. They struggle to get signed for three years. So now Beyonce's what? The ripe old age of 11? (laughs) Yep. And she's so private that she doesn't want other kids at her school to even know about this other life she's been leading. She's afraid the kids at school make fun of her for the girls' time stuff and she'll be bullied even more. So she keeps it under wraps. She develops two different personas. Regular kid by day, budding pop star by night. Oh, like Sasha Fierce and Beyonce. Yeah. Though it's not like girls' time is blowing up. Everybody's going broke trying to keep the group alive. Matthew's pushing the girls to work harder. Tina's been killing herself keeping up her hair salon and working as the group stylist. She even designs their outfits. The group's managers, Deb and Denise, are hustling. And now they come up with a plan. The girls will go on Star Search. What's that? Basically, it was America's Got Talent. It was hosted by Ed McMahon. If you win, you get $100,000, tons of publicity, and if you're lucky, a record deal. Wow, so it's make or break. Beyonce must be so nervous. Beyonce, nervous, please. (laughs) Fair point. (laughs) Once upon a time, she was shy. Now she's a performer. Plus, her dad offered her a little extra motivation. Since Star Search tapes in Orlando, he promises he'll take her to Disney World. If she wins. It's November 2nd, 1992. 
the day of the Star Search taping. Beyonce is backstage eyeing her competition, a band called Skeleton Crew. They're alternate rockers who have been on the show before, and they know their stuff. So, okay, maybe Beyonce is feeling the butterflies after all. Her dad, Matthew, walks over and asks how she's doing. He takes hold of his daughter's little hands. He can feel them shaking. He gives Beyonce a squeeze and asks, what do I always tell you? She looks up at him and recites their mantra, do your best and let the audience do the rest. Please tell me you found a recording of their performance. Oh, you bet. Here, check it out. Thank you, Skeleton Crew. Welcome Beyonce, Lativia, Nina, Nikki, Kelly, and Ashley, the hip-hop rapping girls' time. So what's your shit? They rap, they sing, they dance. Wow, they've got these puffy neon, like, raincoats? They're so untrend for the 90s and for now. I need one of those right now. They'd match your rain boots. (laughs) My God, my wellies. (laughs) So then it's time for the judges to tell the audience the score and who wins. The camera pans to skeleton crew. Five white guys, long hair, blousey shirts, Two dudes are actually wearing berets, which, you know, you do you. And then... The judges give champion Skeleton Crew four stars. A perfect score the challenger girls time receives. Three stars. Skeleton Crew. On the outside, Beyonce and Kelly are all smiles. Inside, they're dying. It's over. They lost. Beyonce later said in an E! Network documentary, It wasn't even 30 seconds before we start crying. So we're thinking nobody's ever going to sign us now because we lost on TV. So that's it. It's over for girls' time. Of course it's not. Because maybe the most important moment of the whole day happens after the show backstage, when a producer pulls Matthew Knowles aside and tells him, go back home, regroup, make changes, and practice. It's like these words of encouragement. These girls have something. Beyonce has something. So that's what Matthew does. Stage dad alert. Totally. When he gets back to Houston, Matthew quits his six-figure sales job and signs up for music business and sales classes at a local community college. He wants to make his daughter's dreams come true. He takes over girls' time. He hires a whole team to train the girls. He's going to manage girls' time like they're a classic doo-wop group. He wants to turn them into the next Supremes. But they already have Deborah and Denise who discovered them. Now they have three. <laughs> but not for long because Matthew slowly pushes them out. And those aren't the only changes he makes. The year after Star Search, he cuts three of the girls from the group. Nina, Nikki, and Ashley. They're 12 years old. Oh, was Beyonce upset? I mean, I don't know, maybe. But I mean, Matthew is her dad. What's she going to say? She was like... Sorry, girl. That's just the way it works. There's no way she said that. (laughs) No, according to the author of Becoming Beyonce, she pretty much did. But to be fair, she did feel bad. I mean, she said she loved being with the other girls in the group because she was always so nervous and she had someone to talk to and share everything with. But she wants to win, whatever it takes. She has her dad's drive and work ethic, too. Hmm. So it all leads back to Matthew. He never loses sight of his one goal, to turn his daughter into a star. And he instills that goal in Bay too. Did you ever see that HBO documentary she made, Life is But a Dream? Uh, yeah, I loved it. Well, she talks about it in that. My father kept pushing me and kept pushing me and kept pushing me. Every time my dad pushed me, 
I got better and stronger. But he's also pushing some other people in the music business who aren't too happy about it and don't need to take his shit. In 1995, the girls sign a record deal with Elektra Records, who also have En Vogue. You remember En Vogue? Nope. You don't? Nope. <gasps> Free your mind and the rest oh, will follow. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. You, you know it. Well, the girls are thrilled, but Matthew's such a pain in the ass to the record execs that they don't want to deal with him anymore. They drop girls' time. Dreams crushed. Ugh, that is a lot of ups and downs for Beyonce. That's show business, baby. (laughs) Okay, you say that like you actually know something about it. Well, I am a podcast host, and I did once park Channing Tatum's car. (laughs) But yeah, Beyonce was devastated. She lost her first record deal. And for all she knows, it was her only chance. It's a really hard time for her whole family. Remember, Matthew took a huge financial gamble on the girls by quitting his job to manage them. Their mom, Tina, threw all her energy and time into making the group a success. Now, Tina and Matthew start fighting a lot. The Knowles sell their home before they lose it. The couple even separates for a while. They move into different apartments. So things are looking pretty bleak for Beyonce and the Knowles crew. No record deal, no house. Beyonce's 15 now. Wow, almost time to retire. Yeah, I think she's missed her chance. Too bad Beyonce Knowles never amounted to anything. Actually, that's when things start to change. Matthew and Tina have a new plan. They're going to cut even more girls from the group until there are only four. They're going to rebrand, which includes a new name. Tina comes up with one. You want to guess what the name is? I don't have to guess because I know. Destiny's Child. Is this where we sing Say My Name? No, I'm good. Okay. So I just want to say DoorDash deserves all the gold stars. Like, I cannot tell you how many times it's come in handy. We actually use it for our Thursday night sleepovers. We get Cheesecake Factory all the time on DoorDash. (laughs) Uh, But it's, it's good for a lot of things. Groceries, late night snacks, all kinds of stuff. And before you ask... Richie's. Yes, of course we have a code. You can use code RICH24 to get 50% off up to a $10 value. When you spend $15 or more on your next convenience, grocery, or retail order for eligible users only, terms apply. Love it. Listen, Richie's, you play your cards right, you never have to leave your house again. <laughs> yep. And that's the real dream. It is. Get everything you need when you need it. Use code RICH24 to get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more at convenience, grocery, or select retail stores on DoorDash. For eligible users only terms apply can we talk about how cool it is that with audible you almost feel like you're watching a movie just by listening to the stories especially with audible's new collection of exclusive thrillers they feature captivating sound design eerie soundscapes and dynamic performances so the story is really brought to life i'm excited to listen to none of this is true by lisa jewel it's actually about a podcaster who meets this girl and this girl like tells her about her life and she's like you should feature me in your podcast but then the girl's life is like very strange oh my gosh so why has that not happened to us yet it will it's only a matter of time <laughs> but it sounds so good and juicy yeah and richie says an audible member you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog including best-selling audio titles and new releases in every genre New members can try Audible now free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash even the rich or text even the rich to 500 500. That's audible.com slash even the rich or text even the rich to 500 500 to get started. Hey. 
As we know, Destiny's Child had some great songs. Uh, yeah, they did. Here's a fave. All my ladies who independent, throw my hands up at me. All my honeys making money. I wish people could see your hand movements. That's hey, what they're I'm most missing performing. out on. Just like Beyonce. Well, aside from that amazing hit, from the mid-90s to the early 2000s, it's a fun ride for the group. As you probably know, they end up being just three girls, Mm -hmm. Beyonce, Kelly Rowland, who was the one the Knowles family took in as a kid, Mm -hmm. and Michelle Williams. They make four albums in four years. They have almost a dozen top 10 hits, songs like Bootylicious and Survivor. Uh, You forgot a pretty big one. Which one? Say my name, say my name. If no one is around you, say, baby, I love you. If you ain't running. <laughs> wow. I can't wait to see the reviews. <laughs> so <laughs> Beyonce's thrilled. She's the lead singer, the biggest name in Destiny's Child. She's starting to get even more individual attention. Her career is finally going exactly like she and her dad had hoped it would. At the same time, though, she's lonely. She's singing all these love songs other people write for her. But it's not clear she knows much about love herself. I mean, who really does at 19 or whatever? True, but Bay does have a boyfriend at this time, Lyndall Locke. He's a good-natured, church-going guy with a great sense of humor and a gigantic smile. They met when Beyonce was 12 and Lyndall was 14. Back then, things were easy between them. On weekday afternoons, Lyndall would race his bike over to Beyonce's middle school, hoping to steal a little time with her before her mom picked her up. Oh, young love. Yeah. Well, now, though, seven years into the relationship, things aren't quite the same. Beyonce is touring the world with artists like Christina Aguilera and Boys to Men. Mm. And Lyndall, he's just a regular kid. Here's Lyndall explaining to Inside Edition what it was like when Beyonce came home off the road. I was sick of dropping everything. You know, I wanted to try to become a better person and more successful myself. But in essence, whenever she came home, I was there, you know, drop everything, go and hang out with her, which is the right thing to do for your girlfriend. Duh. But (laughs) after after a while, I started to, you know, kind of get edgy about it. It's like I'm sick of stopping everything for you, you know. Oh, I'm sorry, Lyndall, the regular high school guy, that a world-famous superstar wants you to drop your bong in your hacky sack and come (laughs) hang out. Yeah, it wasn't built to last. (laughs) They break up. In a 2001 interview, this reporter from Toasted asks Beyonce kind of an off-the-wall question. He goes, if you could spy on anybody in the world, who would it be? And she says... I would spy on this one guy because I just want to know, like... You know, sometimes guys play games. (laughs) A lot of times, you don't know how they really feel. I just want to hear his conversation with him and a bunch of guys in the room. You know how y'all talk. I just want to hear what he has to say. In other words, if I were a boy. (laughs) Oh, no. That is adorable, right? Such a teenage girl. (laughs) Yeah, you're making me second-guess musical episodes in the future. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how do we talk about Beyonce and Jay-Z and not sing all the time. That's that's very fair. Uh, so Beyonce is branching out into acting now. She's about to star in the movie Carmen, a hip opera 2001, the famous opera adapted for MTV. Mm-hmm. And Survivor has sold 10 million copies and becomes the fastest selling album in the label's history. And what is Destiny's Child going to do with all this success? Like any good band, they break up. Beyonce's got bigger things to focus on, like playing Foxy Cleopatra in the cinematic masterpiece Austin Powers in Goldmember. I don't believe we've met. It's me, Foxy. 
see Cleopatra? Long time no see. Like, that's the peak right there. (laughs) Yeah. Destiny's Child goes on, quote, unquote, hiatus. Which, in music industry lingo, means they're never getting back together. Of course not. They go their separate ways. All the members of Destiny's Child put out solo records. Matthew is managing them all individually. So Beyonce's a superstar. She's done dating high school losers like Lyndall. Ooh, harsh. Is this when she meets Jay-Z? The truth is, we don't really know how they first met. That's good, because that means we can just fantasize about whatever we want. I'm going to go with them parking their neighboring yachts, Mm. maybe somewhere in the Caribbean, shouting at each other through megaphones. Oh, okay, I like that. I like the idea that maybe they were both at Prince's house eating pancakes Mm. for breakfast, Mm -hmm. and she was like, you like pancakes? (laughs) I like pancakes. I'm Beyonce. You must be Mr. Z. But even though Jay and Bay are both famously private about their romantic life with the media, on their albums, they put everything out there. And if you know where to look, their songs can be like reading pages of their diaries. So I present to you our first clue. Lyrics from a song Jay wrote called 713. Arisha, you're up. We played it cool at the pool, Cancun VMA. Confidence you exude make the fools stay away. Me, I played the room, let the fools have the say. Cancun, I kind of sort of called that. Arisha, that was great. You've got flow, girl. Thanks. (laughs) Jay, if you're out there, call me. I'm unsigned. Oh, he absolutely will. So this song is about MTV's fashionably loud event in 1999. This is like a big outdoor concert MTV hosts where stars perform and models hang out by a pool and look hot. I remember watching reruns of it every summer as a very bored 12-year-old on my parents' couch. Well, in 1999, Beyonce is actually there, and so is Jay-Z. So this could be the time they first met. Now, let's go back to Jay's lyrics in 713 for our second clue, shall we? Mm-hmm. The next time we would speak was like two, two years, years away. away. You had a man, you shut it down until you two, two had, had a break. break. I bet that dude rude the, the day. day. You kept me up on the phone while, while you, you were, were away. away. <laughs> Beyonce has a boyfriend when they're in Cancun together. Remember, she was still seeing Lyndall. Hmm. Jay-Z, Lyndall. Jay-Z, Lyndall. Does she just start dating both of them? (laughs) No way. This is Beyonce. (laughs) You wait for Beyonce. She and Jay just talk on the phone for years. They see each other sometimes. On yachts. And in person sometimes too. (laughs) They're both part of a Vanity Fair photo shoot in 2001. In the years between, they get to know each other mostly by phone. I get it. I was a teenager once with a landline and crushes. Many, many crushes. Okay, well, the only thing that changed was the phone. But (laughs) yeah, you know, they can talk to each other about anything. Life on the road, loneliness, ambition. Jay runs his own record label. He worked his way up from nothing. Beyonce wants to know how he got where he is. And Beyonce wants to dominate just as much as he does. Maybe more. She just needs somebody to teach her how to harness what she's got. Somebody other than her super controlling dad. It's like a fairy tale. And that brings us to our next clue. Summer 2002. Jay goes on vacation to Saint-Tropez. Beyonce joins him, just as friends. She's single, but she's still talking to Lyndall. So she calls him. Beyonce really loves the phone. She does, I know. (laughs) So she calls Lyndall and he goes full jealous boyfriend on her. Even though he's not her boyfriend anymore, remember? He broke up with her. Here, I'll be Beyonce, you be Lyndall. I'm going to call you. Oh my God, Lyndall, you're never going to guess where I am. I'm in Saint-Tropez. I think it's Saint-Tropez. Okay, don't correct Beyonce. So guess who I'm with? 
Your mom? No, Jay-Z. And guess what we did today? I jumped off a yacht into the ocean. Yo, yo, hold up there. You're hanging out with Jay-Z again mm-hmm. and you're jumping into water together? Yeah. What's up with that? Does he also have a gigantic smile? Um, yeah, but like he likes water. I like water. That's what friends do. We're just friends, Lindell. He's not even my type. Yeah, yeah, okay. A world famous super rich rapper isn't everyone's type. Is that what you're trying to say? You know what, Lindell? Maybe you should have put a ring on it when you had the chance. Damn, baby doll, that should be a song. Not yet. Hello? Lindell? Oh, uh, sorry, I just dropped my hacky sack. What were you saying? I gotta go. (laughs) And the thing is, Lindell should be jealous. Here's what Jay writes in 713 about their trip. My first time in the ocean went exactly as you'd expect. Meanwhile, you go in hard, jumping off the top deck. A leap of faith. I knew I was up next. I never told you, but I told a few people we'd wed. He already wants to marry her? That is fast. Yeah. After Beyonce leaves their little vacation, Jay-Z is crushed. Years later, he shared how he felt in a little feature he made for his album 444. I was on the boat, and I had the best time. I was like, man, this is great. And then she had to leave, and I was like, crushed. And I was like, man, I don't even feel like this. Like, what, what is happening to my body right now? And I was just like, don't go. And I was like, did I just say, you know, all this is new for me. Like, don't leave. Because if you think Beyonce's ride had a lot of ups and downs, it's nothing compared to Jay-Z's. And understanding where Jay came from is key to understanding why he's such a monumental figure in hip-hop and pop culture. And who he was when he and Beyonce finally, really, for sure got together. So you're trying to eat better, but meal prepping isn't exactly cutting it. Trust me, I've been there, which is why I'm so excited for today's sponsor, Factor. Factor's pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals are delivered right to your door and heat up in just two minutes. Eating better has never been easier. It really hasn't. And you'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more. This is a sponsor that we're like, we're going to probably pay for this on our own when yeah. it runs out. And that's a big testament. Like, The meals are delicious. I have not had a meal I don't like from there. The idea of being able to put something in the microwave for two minutes and it coming out as if you cooked it. Yeah. I feel like we're living in the future. We are. And we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Yeah. So head to factormeals.com slash rich50 and use code rich50 to get 50% off. That's code rich50 at factormeals.com slash rich50 to get 50% off. It's 1980, and Sean Corey Carter, a.k.a. Jay-Z, is an 11-year-old living in the Marcy Housing Project in Brooklyn. So not a Tudor-style mansion. No. This is a world away from Beyonce's Tudor house in Houston. Jay's dad is not pulling down six figures. Jay talks and raps a lot about growing up in the Marcy Projects. Years later, he told Charlie Rose about what it was like. Crack cocaine was everywhere. You smelt it in the hallways. You saw the little empty vials on the curb floating by in the water. You know, it was was just everywhere. At 11, Jay learns two really important things about himself. First, that he loves music. 
His parents, Gloria and Agnes, have a killer record collection. Jackson 5, Prince, Marvin Gaye. They throw parties sometimes, and Jay, dressed in his PJs, sneaks out of bed so he can listen to the music they play. He'd watch everyone dancing, having a good time. He's like, wow, look at what music can do even when things are tough. The other thing he knows is that he's smart, like off the charts smart. In sixth grade, he had to take these tests to see where he was at, you know, brain-wise. Turns out he's at a 12th grade level. But then tragedy strikes. Jay's uncle gets stabbed to death. And Adnis, Jay's dad, gets so obsessed with revenge that he takes off to find the killer and leaves his family behind. Things kind of go downhill from there. The next year, when Jay's 12, his brother steals a ring from him and sells it to buy drugs. Mm. Jay retaliates by shooting his brother in the shoulder. Damn. Afterwards, Jay is sure he's going to jail. But his brother doesn't die, and he doesn't press charges. In fact, he apologizes to Jay while he's in the hospital. So his brother gets clean, and Jay-Z and his family live happily ever after, right? Please say that's what happens? Not quite. One day, Jay's shopping at a local bodega when the owner pulls him aside. He says he likes the way Jay carries himself, and he offers Jay a job running drugs from Brooklyn to Trenton, New Jersey. Before long, Jay's making two grand a day. He's going to get rich, but it's obviously dangerous. At 16, he has his first run-in with the cops. They don't arrest him, but they do take his entire supply. Now, Jay's in debt to his supplier. To make things right, he's got to go home to Brooklyn, to the Marcy Projects, and deal for 60 hours straight. It's unbelievably boring, standing on the corner for hours. So to keep his mind occupied, he comes up with wraps and writes them down on a brown paper bag. Later, he upgrades to a three-ring binder, which his mom buys for him. He takes it with him wherever he goes, filling it with lines. He reads the dictionary to improve his vocabulary. He freestyles for some friends. They start calling him Jazzy, and soon, Jay-Z. He starts writing down lyrics, jumping into neighborhood rap battles. But it takes a backseat to dealing drugs. The streets may be rough, but they pay. At 20, Jay's driving a Lexus decked out with TVs. Plural. Jay decides music is going to have to take a back seat. Pretty soon, he's dealing up and down the East Coast, pulling in five figures a month. Mm. It helps that he's smart. Dealing drugs is, after all, a business. You know, supply, demand. Sounds like you really learned a lot from those econ classes in college. God, I would be the worst drug dealer. <laughs> the point is, Jay treats dealing like it's a profession. Financially speaking, it's not a bad one, but it's not without risks. In the mid-90s, rival dealers put out a hit on Jay's life. They ambush him, firing three shots at close range. Jay turns and runs. The assassin takes aim, tries to fire again, but his gun jams. Jay-Z escapes with his life. Oh my gosh, can't imagine a world without Jay-Z. That'd be terrible. But the time has come. He's got to get out. As he later puts it, quote, you can't run the streets forever. But for Jay, there's something else, something gnawing at him. He says, I had a fear of being nothing. That pretty much drove me. So Jay-Z takes things into his own hands. After all, he knows how to run a business. He teams up with two young producers, Damon Dash and Kareem Burke. They lease an office in downtown New York. They call their label Rockefeller Records. Jay sells his CDs out of his white Lexus and performs at near-empty college shows, 
bringing the same skills he developed on the streets of Brooklyn and Trenton to his new career. Supply and demand. Something like that. And he shares something in common with Beyonce. He's driven. First as a drug dealer, then as a rapper. He wants to succeed. After 10 years of hustling, he releases an album, Reasonable Doubt. Rockefeller handles production, and Jay makes a deal with two other labels to take care of sales. It's an unusual deal. Typically, an artist can expect to walk away with royalties of around 20%, but that's not good enough for Jay. He insists they split the profits straight down the middle. That seems fair. That album is so good. Yeah, it's got classics on it, like Can't Knock the Hustle. Mm -hmm. It's a decent success, and the hip-hop community flips for it. But there's a problem. The label Jay-Z's partnered with won't pay him what he's owed. This is like every behind-the-music story. Record company screws artists out of money. Yeah, except Jay's not like other new artists. Jay's been shot at. He's not afraid of a record label executive. What can a suit do to him? So we don't know exactly what happens. But Jay gets his album back. He gets the master recordings. And this time, when he goes to sell it again to a better distributor, there's a bidding war. Mm. Jay decides to sign with Def Jam, which is, at the time, the coolest label in the business. It's run by Russell Simmons. Who, we should probably acknowledge, is now a very problematic figure. Right. But in the 90s, as the president of Def Jam, Russell was at the top of the music industry's food chain. Jay-Z negotiates a deal with him for Def Jam to re-release Reasonable Doubt and do a follow-up album. The deal's for seven figures. And what Jay realizes while he's sitting at the table is that he wants to be on the other side. He doesn't just want to flog his albums. He wants to write the seven-figure checks. He wants power. He wants control. He wants to win. Okay, I'm starting to see what Beyonce saw in him. Yeah, add another crush to the list. (laughs) So where Beyonce puts everything she has into becoming the best possible singer and performer, Jay-Z becomes one of the best lyricists and rappers in the world. But he also throws his energy into figuring out how to run the business side, how to make money. In 1998, when he's 28 years old, he realizes that every time he shouts out a brand on his tracks, that brand blows up. He's sending products flying off the shelves. Everybody wants to wear what he wears, drink what he drinks, drive what he drives. So he thinks, why don't I start my own brand and shout that out instead of lining other people's pockets? So Jay buys a bunch of sewing machines and sets them up in the office because that's how you start a fashion label, right? I'm picturing all of these interns trying to figure out how a sewing machine works. Jay talks to Russell Simmons, asks for advice on how to take his fashion label to the next level. And Russell's like... You're doing it wrong, man. You need to make a deal with a clothing manufacturer. Jay listens. And the next year, his label Rockaware pulls in $80 million. Damn. Yeah. It's basically impossible for Jay not to make money. Like, he goes on tour to promote his third album, Volume 2, Hard Knock Life, and makes a cool 18 mil. Mm. It's the most successful hip-hop tour of its time. And he's had massive hits like H to the Izzo and Hard Knock Life. So by the time he meets Beyonce, Jay's a huge star, a multimillionaire. He's got his own record label, a wildly successful fashion line, everything. Well, not everything. You're right, because poor Jay-Z is single. Sure, he's dating models and celebrities, everybody from Aaliyah to Rosario Dawson, but he hasn't met his match. I can see why Jay and Beyonce would be well-suited for each other. Opposites attract, right? She's this young up-and-comer. He's this established rap mogul. It's funny you say that, because like a lot of this story, even their getting together has a business component to it. 
See, at this time, Beyonce's first solo efforts after Destiny's Child haven't been going so well. She did a song with Pharrell that flopped. So Beyonce is looking for new collaborators. Pairing with a bigger artist is one way to get more attention. And she's got her mind on one in particular. I see where this is going. (laughs) The tabloids have started printing rumors about her relationship with Jay. Are they dating? Are they friends? Are they colleagues? Beyonce and her work friend, Jay-Z. Just getting apps and zerts at the local (laughs) Buffalo Wild Wings. (laughs) Jay's in the studio recording his seventh album. He knows Bay needs to break out. So he has an idea. What if they do a duet for his album? At this point, he's the bigger solo artist. So they do a song about the relationship they may or may not be in together. Oh, three Bonnie and Clyde, do you know it? You've got to know this. <laughs> Down the right to the very end. It's me, me and, and my, my girlfriend, girlfriend. Me and my, my girlfriend. girlfriend. Mostly I remember the video. Bay in this hot red lip, mm. gold bikini, Jay in a Bentley, cops on their tail. I wanted to be in the backseat of that Bentley so badly. Ugh, me too. How much fun would it have been to be there together? Ugh, I mean, they were just friends anyway, right? Yeah. So what's two more buddies in the backseat? Right. Me and, and my, my best friend. friend. Me and my, my best friend. friend. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't know it yet, but this video is going to change their lives. Bands love how the song's a mix of both of them. Jay's slick rhymes, Beyonce's sexy vocals. Suddenly, critics see Bay in a different light. Sharon's a little street cred, as one music journalist puts it. Even more important, the whole world becomes completely obsessed with knowing their relationship status. And all this buzz sends the single straight up the charts. People not just want to know, they they need to know. About, uh, just from the reaction I'm getting from the public about Jay-Z and Beyonce, how long have they been dating? So this is after 03 Bonnie and Clyde comes out and Jay is doing promo on MTV. Every time the interviewer says Beyonce, he fidgets. Oh, baby Jay, he has a crush. Well, he's 33, but yes, he has a crush. And he doesn't want to talk about it. It'd be fair to say that you guys are close friends. Yeah. Would it be fair to say that as friends, you've been on out? Yeah, that's fair, that's fair. But would it be fair yeah. to say y'all, y'all, y'all that, idol? That wouldn't be fair to That say. wouldn't be fair that, to say. That would be putting 80 million people, people in your business. Yeah, there you go. But wait. So are they dating for real now and just keeping it under wraps? Or are they actually not together? Who knows? They just keep teasing us. They even put out another song together. This is Crazy in Love, and it's a big single on Beyonce's first solo album. It comes out in 2003. Oh, gosh. Got me feeling so crazy right now. Your love got me feeling so crazy right now. It's right there in the lyrics. He's got her feeling so crazy right now, looking so crazy in love. They're obviously together. But Jay says in an interview for Playboy that they aren't. He says, she's beautiful. Who wouldn't wish she was their girlfriend? Maybe one day. And at this point, if I were Beyonce, I'd be pissed. Well, Beyonce's doing the same thing. She tells Oprah, if you're a celeb, it's not wise to tell people about your private business. I don't actually talk about who I'm dating, who I'm not, because I think it's important that I concentrate on the music. And when you start talking about those things, then that becomes bigger than the art. So yeah, they're both reluctant. Imagine you're rich megastars. Okay. It's not like you can go out on dates where normal people go, touch and hold hands and all that. The second the press gets wind of it, everything changes. It's not really yours anymore. Now you belong to the public. So what do you do if you really are crazy in love with someone else? You're famous all over the world and you're scared to death that if you fall too hard for each other, it could be the end. Got me looking so crazy in love. A reshot. 
I'm sorry, I can't help it. It's stuck in my head. Well, when Jay-Z signs Rihanna and rumors start flying that there's something going on between the two of them, Beyonce goes from crazy in love to crazy upset. But I'm saving that for next time. This is episode one of our four-part series, Beyonce and Jay-Z, American Royalty. We use many sources when researching our stories, like Vanity Fair and GQ. But we especially recommend the book, Becoming Beyonce, by Randy Taraborelli, as well as Zachary O'Malley Greenberg's biography of Jay-Z, Empire State of Mind, and Jay-Z's own autobiography, Decoded. I'm your host, Brooke Ziffrin. And I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams. Sarah Labrie wrote this episode. Our audio engineer is us, from home, using recording equipment we 100% know how to use. Caleb Bissinger is our associate producer. Hi, Caleb. Sound design is by James Morgan. Our executive producers are Stephanie Jens, Marsha Louie, and Hernan Lopez for Wondery. The wait is over. So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience. Quickly, I see that. Bing! The queen of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that. New cases. She wanted to fight me. Leave her alone. Okay, so, um... Not, this is not a so. This is a period. Classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything. (laughs) Judy Justice, only on Freebie.